Good morning, Polyview Baptist Church. Good to see each of you here this morning. I have numerous announcements that I want to share with you before our pastor uh, has an opportunity to uh, pray for all of us, and then we'll begin our worship time after that. But let me just share a couple of announcements with you. Uh, First of all, you'll notice in your bulletin, I just want to make sure for those of you who are planning on attending Edith's uh, funeral service, that'll be happening this Tuesday. October 16th at the Hawaiian Memorial over here, and visitation starts at 9.30, service is at 10.30, uh, and so that is uh, in your bulletin, but I just want you to, to make sure that you are aware that it is this Tuesday. Also, you know, we are so blessed by many artistic people in our church, and uh, week after week after week, we have all kinds of beautiful different presentations that are up here that add a visual stimuli. Uh, Charlene was uh, here putting that up yesterday, and she said, John looked at that and said, it reminds me of being grafted in, the passages in John and, 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 and Romans about us being grafted into the people of God. So anyway, uh, the visuals are there to stimulate you. Uh, and make you think. And we are so blessed to have so many wonderful people in our church who do those kinds of things because my artistic ability is stick figures. And they're not very good even at that. All right, a couple more announcements for you. Harvest Fest coming up. How many of you are excited to go to Harvest Fest? Oh, all right, I've got this side's excited, this side's not. Oh, yeah, there we go. We're looking forward to Harvest Fest. It's going to be happening October 26th. You have an insert in your bulletin. In addition to that, you have more details for you as a church member as an insert. And then we invite you to take this nice colorful one that is out on the greeter's table. And uh, this is one that you can hand to neighbors, family, friends to invite them. The other one is great for you to hang on your fridge to remind you about, you know, what all we're going to do as a church family. Uh, But this is one that you can, this is one as things fly around up here, this is one that you can use to pass out and, uh, and share with your neighbors, inviting them to come to that. Look forward to that opportunity as we uh, have that time of fellowship and outreach to our community and with our preschool families. And yes, bring candy. Donate candy to the office and bring canned food uh, as we will be uh, uh, collecting food for the Hawaii Food Bank that night. So I just want you to be aware of those things. Look forward. We'll share more with that as it gets closer. And then on that Sunday, that following Sunday, we have uh, our pastor appreciation potluck dinner. And that also is an insert. But in addition to that, we have thank you cards. If you would like to, and these are also out at the greeting table, and they're going to be available from now until that Sunday, uh, if you want to write just a word of encouragement to our pastor, uh, we are going to collect all of those. They are going to remain, uh, we're not going to read them in front of anybody, So, uh, but they're just going to be for our pastor. We're going to put them in a gift box and uh, give that to him so that he can just take home, and whenever he feels discouraged which never happens to a pastor. But whenever he feels discouraged, he can take out the box and grab one of these and be lifted up by your encouraging words. So I encourage you. I'm just trying to see how many times I can use the word encourage in an announcement. But I encourage you to write a note of encouragement for our pastor and uh, 
we'll have a box for you to put those in as a part of our collection. And then we also have one more additional insert, which just talks about the calendar events with the Christmas parade coming up December 1st, the cantatas on December 7th and 9th, and our candlelight service on December 24th. And even though Jeff is not here, we are having choir practice this Tuesday at 7.30. So if you can be here for that, if you're part of that, we encourage you to do so. Our pastor is going to lead us in prayer, and then we are going to begin our time of worship. Okay, will you join me in prayer? Father, as we gather now for this time of worship, remind us that you are present here with us as your people gather. And as we seek to lift up your name, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings of this beautiful day. We do praise you for your ongoing grace that sustains us and lifts us up, that we might serve you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.
stand, please, as we sing How Great Is Our God.
God, we come before you now, recognizing that our very lives are a gift from you, and we thank you for that precious gift. 
We thank you for the privilege that we have to live for you and the privilege that we have to give so that your kingdom's work can advance. Now, Lord, we just ask that as we give, you will bless to use these gifts as we bring them before you to further your kingdom's work. We thank you for the privilege that we have that you've given so much for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. means to glory in yourself, your own achievements, a sense of self-importance, a pride in being able to go it alone, placing our trust in our own abilities and stand on our own two feet rather than learning to depend on the one who created those feet to begin with, which is why the psalmist declared, it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. He's replaced himself in God's place. But the world's standards and expectations are very different than God's. The world expects us to promote ourselves. It encourages self-confidence and self-expression and self-esteem and all those other me words. It obsesses over whether others may think of them what they may think of them, not realizing That as Ann Landers once pointed out, at age 20, we worry about what others think of us. At 40, we don't care what others think of us. And at 60s, we finally realize they don't think of us at all. (laughs) With the advent of social media and selfies, we have taken the practice of singing our own praises and exhibitionism to a whole new level. We have to blow our own horn if we want others to listen. British evangelist and writer Ian Thomas said, you need to make sure that it is God's trumpet you are blowing. If it's only yours, it won't wake the dead. It's only going to upset the neighbors. Before God, and in light of all of our sins and our failures, what do we really have to boast about anyway? The Corinthians were put off by Paul's humility. In much of the ancient world, Pride was considered the virtue, not humility. Leaders especially were expected to be strong and decisive, to elicit confidence, even if it meant bragging and exaggerating their achievements while scoffing at such notion as he who would be greatest must be servant of all, or he who would be first must become last. The world scoffs at the Beatitudes, which turns its values upside down with such words as blessed are the healthy, or healthy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will be the ones to inherit the earth. Humility 
was often considered weakness, which is why they were having trouble with Paul, for whom humility, not pride, was the virtue. Even though he knows it's foolish to brag about himself, Paul is willing to resort to the world's methods and become a fool for Jesus if that is what it took to get people's attention. He didn't worry about protecting his ego if it meant lifting up the name of God. So beginning in verse 16 of chapter 11, Paul says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will join with them and boast. He wanted to talk about Jesus, but his rivals wanted to talk about themselves. So he's ready to swallow his pride and be a fool to get them to listen. What about us? Does our pride get the better of us? Are we willing to speak up and talk to others about him and his goodness rather than ourselves? Or are we too self-conscious, worried about what they may think of us, worried about how foolish we might seem, so we keep quiet, or we worry about we might say something wrong, or not know what to say, showing, again, we're thinking about ourselves and what others think of us than about the Lord and what he thinks. Or we simply find it so much easier to talk about ourselves, what we did where we went on vacation, what we had for dinner last night, the game we went to. It's easier to talk about those things than to talk about Jesus, isn't it? It's easier because that's what the world has taught us to do, to talk about ourselves, to post our selfies, to let the world know what we're doing, even if it means most of us exaggerate on our Facebook page. If we're going to boast, Paul has said in chapter 10, let us boast in the Lord, not in ourselves. That means we begin to learn to declare his praises rather than our own. It means instead of self-promotion, we promote Jesus. Instead of talking about our accomplishments, we start talking and telling others about his, even if it means we can seem foolish sometimes to the world. As Paul's rivals were singing their own praises, they were also taking advantage because he said, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. His rivals who were criticizing Paul in his humility were putting themselves forward, boasting and bragging to get the church to support them, to give them what they needed or wanted. And they thought nothing of it. Willing to accept abuse in the name of having strong leadership following those who were hyping themselves, singing their own praises, declaring their own glory, even if it meant looking the other way while they were being taken advantage of. It didn't seem to matter because his rival sure sounded good, made all those big promises. To my shame, Paul says, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am now speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. And then he lists the credentials his rivals were pointing to, proud of their Jewish heritage. And they, as they did so, they used it to prop up their, complaint, their 
claims of superiority while at the same time taking swipes at Paul, calling into question his credentials. In a not-so-subtle way, each title was meant to build themselves up while tearing him down. Paul writes, are they Hebrews? In other words, they still spoke the mother tongue. Paul spoke Greek. Yet Paul answers, so am I. He wasn't, it wasn't that he couldn't speak Hebrew. Rather than drawing attention to himself, though, he spoke Greek to reach the Greeks. They call into question the purity of Paul's faith while bragging of their own. Are they Israelites? Born and raised in Israel, their faith unpolluted by foreign gods and concepts. Paul was born and raised in Tarsus, a pagan city heavily influenced by Greek thought and culture. Paul says, forget the rumors. I also am a true Israelite. In fact, in Acts 22, he says he wasn't just raised in Jerusalem. He was trained by Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of his day. Are they Abraham's descendants? They're ethnically pure, full heirs of God's promises. Paul was born in Turkey. Who knows how pure his blood was? But Paul says, I too am a true descendant of Abraham. I too am an heir to God's promises. Are they servants of Christ? They were probably coming from Jerusalem, claiming superiority by being there where Jesus had been crucified. Paul says, I'm out of my mind talking like this. They claim to be true servants, but I too am a servant of Christ, even more so. Relying on their ethnic identity as a source of their authority, their legitimacy. What do we look to for our legitimacy? Some, like Paul's critics, seem to rely on little more than title to make them feel important. But if it's only our title we're relying on, How valid is that? Or is it merely a cover for our insecurities? Like the man who had left for the evening for his weekly lodge meeting. A short time later, far earlier than expected, his wife heard him return home and she yelled out, Honey, I thought you were going to the lodge meeting tonight. He said, I was, but it was postponed. The grand, exalted, invincible, supreme potentate's wife told him he couldn't go. It takes more than a title to make us legitimate. But for these critics, that's what it was about, boasting about empty words. Paul, instead, spells out not his genealogy for his credentials, but it's very unexpected. He points to things not like the number of churches he started, the miracles performed, the gifts possessed, the crowds he's preached to. He doesn't brag and boast about his accolades and achievements, the things the world would expect. Instead, he starts bragging about his problems and his trials and his difficulties that came as a result of following Christ. I've worked much harder, he said. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, 
often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who's led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? All because he was following Christ. As much as we like to hear testimonies of victories and miracles, thinking those are what's going to strengthen our faith, Paul elevates his weaknesses, not his strengths. He shows that his faithfulness through difficulty that most fully reveals God, and that applies to us also. The world may not see or hear or value your difficulties and struggles, but God does. And just as the testing, it's the testing that strengthens metal, it's the testing that prepares and equips us for service. That's why James said, count it pure or total joy when you face trials of many kinds because of what they're going to produce. Those who ask for signs and wonders from God as proof, they were the same ones crying out for Jesus' death and a few times days later. We can get so caught up promoting ourselves, boasting and bragging and building ourselves up, but to what end? It wasn't about Paul, he says. It was about Christ. So if I must boast, he says, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor himself, under King Aretas, had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. He had it locked down. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. You know, whether it's Jesus saying the world will identify us by, as his followers by our love and how we treat each other, or Peter admonishing us to live such good lives that even though people may accuse us of wrong, they're going to see our good deeds and praise God for them, or Paul telling us to live in such a way that we shine like stars in the universe, it's our faithfulness consistently in Scripture through the difficulties, not our big words that speak most loudly. So Paul says when he boasts, it's going to be about his weaknesses, the things that show Christ in him. How often do we boast about God and the dependability of Christ? You know, that wasn't just Paul. Instead of pointing to their strengths, it was a very common practice in Scripture for the saints of old to point to their weaknesses. They weren't caught up in their own PR and hype. So Abraham, friend of God, he's declared, among the greatest figures of the Old Testament, received God's promises, yet in Genesis 18, he acknowledges, I am only dust and ashes. God said of Job, there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Those are the words of God. And yet, before God, Job said in Job 40, verse 4, I'm unworthy. I'm nothing. David, a man after God's own heart, greatest king of Israel, yet in Psalm 51 he confessed, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Ezra, one of the greatest leaders of his day, a spiritual leader, when the nation was in ruin seeking direction, cried out, I'm too ashamed and disgraced to even lift up my eyes to heaven. Isaiah, among the greatest of all the prophets, a friend of king, trusted servant of God, cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. One of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, a leader among the apostles, pleaded with Jesus, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Paul called himself the chief or greatest of sinners. Even the Roman centurion said he's unworthy to have Jesus come under his own roof. You know, God has a different way of judging our importance. He even says in his kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's not how we boast. It's not how impressive we make ourselves sound. It's what God says that matters. Paul continues in his full speech, finally getting around to something the world would love to get a hold of. But even so, here he doesn't in a way that downplays his self-importance. And he's rather clumsy at it. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. Now we're getting to it. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows this is something people would love to boast about. And I know that this man whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because... I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say because of these, or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, now he knew a man, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You know that Paul's struggling with this idea of boasting about himself, trying to put it in the third person, and here he stumbles. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God's power is made perfect in your and my weakness, not in our strength. Because it's in our weakness we learn to trust him. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How we need to hear that. When I am weak, then I am strong. Not when I promote and boast and brag and push myself forward, but when I lift up one who is greater than me. God's power rests or is made perfect, complete in our weakness. Gary Thomas said that once when he was ascending out of San Antonio Airport, as the plane was passing over an enclave of huge mansions, all the homes, he said, had to have been at least seven to 10,000 square feet, immaculate lawns and gardens, large pools, huge garages. But he said from 2,000 feet in the air, it was amazing how small they all looked. Another few thousand feet, and they became like mere playhouses. And as he was reflecting on this, it struck him. Not a home on this planet looks big to God. No house 
is huge from heaven. The things that swell our chests with pride and accomplishments that we brag and we boast about, the self-importance we can feel, he says, are nothing to God. They're puny to him. We cannot impress God. We need to learn to see ourselves and each other as he does, not with a false pride or huge egos, but in humility and gratitude, taking pride in him, boasting in our weaknesses and the things that draw our attention to him rather than ourselves. You know, as we observe the Lord's Supper each month, we may not think of it this way, but it's a reminder not of our strength, but of our weakness. Through the observance, in a way, we are boasting in what's been done for us because we weren't able to do it ourselves. We weren't strong enough. He who knew no sin became sin for us, Scripture said. And through him, we become the righteousness of God. If you haven't come to that place of reckoning with God, you need to realize you don't come in strength. You come in humility and weakness. It's not your ability that saves you. It's Christ's availability. Salvation and forgiveness are not the result of how much you do or how hard you work. You don't make it based on your achievements, but it's simply accepting the work someone else did for you because you weren't strong enough. And if we confess our weakness and turn to him in faith, it's he who lifts us up. That's what we remember when we remember the Lord's Supper each month. And that's the invitation we give at the end of the service. If there is a need to acknowledge your weakness, your need for another to save you because you finally realize you cannot save yourself, he's available. So I'm going to ask Brett and the worship team if you can come. And as we all stand together and sing the hymn of invitation and commitment, if you have reached that point of reckoning where you recognize and are ready to confess, God, I can't do it on my own. I need help. He stands ready and desirous to welcome you. So I stand at the front to pray with any who may need prayer or to welcome any who may need to follow through on a commitment you've already made. Would you all please stand as we sing together? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. World behind me, the cross before me. before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Father, we thank you that the cross is before us, and because it's before us, there's no need to turn back even if we wanted to because you are calling us home. We thank you, Father, for that precious gift of life that you give through Jesus Christ our Lord. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Jesus lifted high, the banner that flies across the land, that I'll make my teeth of truth and know He is the way to heaven. We want to see Jesus lifted high, the banner that flies across this land, that I'll make my teeth of truth and know He is the way to heaven. We want to see, we want to see. We wanna see Jesus lifted high. We wanna see, we wanna see, we wanna see Jesus lifted high. Step by step we're moving forward. Little by little we're taking ground. Every prayer, powerful weapon, strongholds come tumbling down and down and down and down. Wanna see Jesus lifted high. Wanna see, wanna see Jesus lifted high. 